Let's turn together, shall we, to 2 Peter and chapter 1. Just while you're turning there, uh, it, it was in the year 1865, in fact, the morning of the day he was assassinated, that Abraham Lincoln signed a paper bringing into being the United States Secret Service. His purpose wasn't to protect himself as president, but actually to root out counterfeit money that was circulating throughout the country. At that time, it was estimated that between a half and a, a, between a third and a half of all the money that was circulating around the United States was uh, forged. And it was beginning to threaten the entire economy. Now, though, it's much better. In actual fact, less than 1%, a quarter of 1% is only forged money. In Canada, it's hardly anything. In 2016, there were only uh, 17,000 bills in the whole of the country that were found to be counterfeit. Now, what does that have to do with 2 Peter? Well, actually, it has a lot to do with it. Because... When Peter wrote this, less, this letter, the people he was writing to were having a counterfeit crisis of their own. Not of finance, but of faith. When he wrote his first letter, the big problem they were facing was fiery persecution. But when he's writing his second letter, the big problem they're facing is false teachers. And so Peter, who knows he's not going to be around because he's been tried, he's been condemned, and he's facing execution, he writes this letter in order to help them understand that the faith that they've got is really the real deal. And in actual fact, uh, it is right there in verse 1, he says that he's writing this to people who share the same precious faith that he himself has. In his book, Reckless Faith, uh, John McCarthy tells us that when, the, when governments are training agents to spot counterfeit bills, they don't help them understand all the various permutations of counterfeiting, but rather they immerse them in the study of the real thing, so that when they come across forged money, they know instinctively by the way it looks and the way it feels that it's not the real deal. And that same strategy is what Peter is doing here in his, in his second letter. He is laying out what genuine faith looks like so that they can spot the counterfeits when they come their way. The title of my message this morning is The Real Deal. And because of going to the south and coming back and the graduating ceremony, there's just two points that I want to make out of this first chapter of Second Peter. Why don't we open our Bibles and, and let's begin to read uh, some of this passage. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. 
This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his glory and excellence. Why don't we stop there? Because actually the two points I want to talk about are in those verses. The first aspect of faith that is the real deal is found in verse 2. Let's read that together. It says, may God give you more and more grace as you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Real faith, real deal faith, is about knowing a person. Why don't we say that together? Real faith is about knowing a person. Faith isn't about going to church. It's not about reciting a creed. It's not about understanding doctrine. It's about knowing a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And just to underscore that truth, in verse 2, Peter uses a very specific word for knowledge. It's a word that doesn't mean head knowledge, but means heart knowledge. He says the real deal faith isn't knowing the facts about Jesus Christ. It's not knowing where he was born and what his teaching was and the miracles he worked and where he died and how he was resurrected. That's not real deal faith. That's head knowledge. But real deal faith is knowing Jesus himself. It's having a personal experience of him and having a daily encounter with him in a living and vibrant relationship. This word doesn't describe how a plumber knows his trade mechanically. And it doesn't describe how a surgeon executes his craft skillfully but clinically. It describes how a husband knows his wife deeply and intimately. That we can know Jesus personally is something that is unique to Christianity. Buddhism is about acceptance. Hinduism is about karma. Islam is about submission. Judaism is about effort. But Christianity is about relationship. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing Jesus. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God. Paul tells the Philippians that he counts all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. John writes to spiritual fathers and says, you know him who is from the beginning. And in his second letter, in every single chapter, Peter makes reference to knowing Jesus Christ. He does it in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 2, verse 20, and chapter 3, verse 18. 
But then he goes on and he says something else. He says, it's not, I'm not just telling you that you can know Jesus. I'm telling you how you can know Jesus. And in verse 1, he says the first way you get to know Jesus is as your saviour. And in verse 2, he says the next way you get to know Jesus is as your Lord. In the Alpha Course, Nicky Gumbel tells the story of a friend of his who had a drug problem. And so this guy, I think his parents actually put him into a rehab center. But he wasn't really committed to the program because at every opportunity, he'd go off and get high. And he was aided in this by the New Testament that the Gideons had very conveniently placed in his nightstand. Because the paper it was written on was just the right size and just the right texture for rolling joints. And so this guy smoked his way through Matthew. And then he smoked his way through Mark. And then he, he, he got high in Luke. And then he started on John. And that's when he started to take notice of the words. And soon the words became more important to him than his original intention. He read when Jesus says, I can give you a drink and if you take of this drink, you'll never be thirsty again. And he read that passage where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And if you take just one bite of me, You'll never be hungry again. I will satisfy the deepest longing and the greatest craving of your life. And it wasn't long before our friend came to meet Jesus Christ in a personal way as his saviour. And instantly his sins were forgiven like Caleb was saying a minute ago. And instantly he was delivered of his drug addiction. But then, he surrendered his life to Jesus. He started to know him as Lord. And he said, Jesus, I don't want to just receive from you. I want to give to you. What is it that you want me to do? And from the rehab center, he went to seminary. And now he's in the Christian ministry. You see, the real deal is about knowing a person. It's about knowing Jesus in a heart way, not a head way. Knowing him as Savior and knowing him as Lord. And I wonder this morning, how do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know him just as a figure of history? Where he lived, how long ago, what he did, great teacher, miracle worker. Or do you know him in your heart? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you given yourself to him? Is, is he a living reality to you? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you talk to him as a friend? Does he talk back to you in the inner stillness of your heart? Or do you know him as Lord? Is he calling the shots in your life? Or are you still holding on to the steering wheel of your life? The real deal means knowing Jesus as Savior, knowing Jesus as Lord. 
But look at verse 3. It says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Real deal faith, as well as knowing a person, is encountering the power of God. Val, when she was a teenager, had a crisis of faith. Not because she was overcome with doubt, in fact, quite the opposite. One Sunday morning, she was in the denomination that she grew up in, and she looked around that nice, neat, predictable church, and she says, if this is everything that Christianity is, you can keep it, because I want more. There was a hunger and a thirst within her that a hymn, a prayer, and a sermon didn't satisfy. As she read her New Testament, she read about people being healed. She read about demons being cast out. She read about prayers being answered. She read about the supernatural happening quite naturally. And in short, what she was saying was, God, I'm hungry for an encounter of your power. And that's the real deal. It's God's power touching me and it's me touching God's power. Paul tells the Romans, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. His heart cry to the Philippians was that he might know Christ, we've talked about that, and the power of his resurrection. Knowledge and encounter go hand in hand. And Jesus promised his disciples that they will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And God met Val. You know, when we cry out to God, he always hears us. And if that's the cry of a hungry and thirsty person, he'll really hear us. If you look at your life and you say, you know what? I don't feel like what I've got's the real deal. Maybe you are hungering and thirsting for an encounter with the power of God. And some months later, Val was at a, at a house party, at a conference. God met her, baptized her in the Holy Spirit. She started to speak in tongues and she was ushered into the supernatural realm where she's been living ever since. And folks, the fact is, you know, we can get so familiar around holy things. You know, when we came to know Christ, he breathed the Holy Spirit into us. And the Holy Spirit that lives in us is the same spirit that hovered over the waters before creation and brought cosmos out of chaos. It's the same spirit that was breathed into Adam that made him into a living being. It's the same spirit that caused Ezekiel's valley of dry bones to become an exceeding great army. It's the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's the same spirit that fell on the day of Pentecost. Our faith and their faith is the same because it's the same spirit that lives within us. But the question I want to ask this morning is how ignited is that faith? How turned on is that power? Is it just like a pilot light or have all the burners been ignited? Because the real deal is all the burners ignited. The real deal is the power of God, not just as a theory, but as a daily experience working in us and working through us. 
Assumpter lived in Rwanda. She had two children, Oliver and Clarice. Clarice was a little girl of 11 days when she took her to the hospital. But she was so far gone in her sickness, there was nothing that could be done. And that same day she died at 11 in the evening. But mum believed in the power of God. And so she asked the doctors if she could stay with her throughout the night, which she did. They thought she was mourning. She was actually praying. And she prayed for six hours from 11 in the evening to five in the morning. And at five in the morning, she felt the Lord speak to her and say, okay, pick up your daughter now. And so she reached out and she felt this cold, stiff, dead child's body and she picked her up and put her to her breast. And the moment she put her to her breast, having prayed and having moved in faith, in obedience that came from hearing the word of God, the power of God hit that little girl. She was resurrected in her mother's arms and she started feeding. Some months later, or perhaps a couple of years later, they moved to Canada. They were part of this church. She was part of the King's School and that's her photograph up there. I used to do a Bible class in the King's School. You know what? That's, that's worth applauding the Lord on, actually. That's the, that's the power of God. That's the real deal. I used to do a, a, a class in, in, in the school and, uh, on the power of God. And uh, I would say, has anybody here ever met anybody that's been raised from the dead? Well, no. I've actually met three people that have been raised from the dead. I said, well, I'm going to introduce you to somebody that's been raised from the dead. And I had Clarice standing outside. And so in she would come. I said, this little girl was cold and stiff and dead until the power of God hit her. You know what, folks? This is the real deal. It's, it's, it, it, yeah, it's hymns, it's prayers, it's, it's coming to church, it's programs. That's all important. But... That's the veins, and this is the life that pumps through the veins. It's the power of God. It's an encounter with that power. It's knowing Jesus, and it's encountering God's power. And I feel like this morning, as we launch this, um, just introducing these verses, this chapter, I feel like God wants to meet with us. In a very real and a very rich way. So I'm going to hand over to uh, Ken and uh, he's going to lead us. God bless you.